Well, they're at it again. These Russian cyber hackers, uh, they're getting good at it. I think they've been good at it for a while. But uh, as you probably heard, a ransomware attack uh, against the Brazilian meatpacking giant JBS took place um, past few days. It disrupted production in the United States, in Canada, in Australia. Brooks, Alberta has a plant that was taken offline for a day and a half, almost two days. They, they're back up and running as of yesterday. Um, but it's just yet another example of how commonplace these attacks are coming, the kind of industry and infrastructure that they are targeting. And it really is alarming to see what they can do, what they can infiltrate, and the impact that they have. So let's get a little more insight into these um, ransomware attacks, what they are, how they work, and what we can do to protect ourselves. We're going to chat now with Kimberly Goody. Uh, Kimberly is the lead expert and senior manager of financial crime analysis at Mandian Threat Intelligence at FireEye Incorporated. Kimberly, uh, thanks for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. It's great to be here. You know, these we, we talk about these every once in a while. They come up, the really big ones that make, uh, you know, national news and international news, like uh, the pipeline in the southern United States, this one at the meatpacking plant. But these things are very, very common, right? These happen every day. Oh, yeah, of course. There are plenty of attacks that are happening around the world that you're not hearing about because they aren't as big of names. They might be smaller companies um, or they might not have a direct impact on consumers. I think the ones that you are going to most often hear about are the ones that do result in very concrete, tangible impacts to your average individual. So, those attacks that result in fuel shortages or the attacks that result in, you know, maybe shelves emptied at mm-hmm. the grocery store or canceled medical procedures. Those are really the, the attacks that you'll hear about most commonly on the news. Yeah, so these attacks that we're talking about here, basically what they do, if I understand it correctly, is they infiltrate a company or, as you said, a hospital uh, or a pipeline's computer network and basically seize it and hold it hostage for ransom, Right. Yeah, so there's a couple different components here to to talk through. So there's usually multiple groups of actors that are involved in a single attack. Um, So often you will see the the actors who are providing ransomware, they will partner with a team of operators who actually deploy that ransomware at a victim organization. Um, And then you also typically have somebody who is providing initial access to an organization as well. Um, And so these, you know, three groups, for simplicity's sake, um, they'll team up together to pull off a a single attack. Um, And, you know, throughout these attacks, right, we've we've seen those evolve over the years, too. So it's not just a case where they are encrypting files on a network anymore. In a lot of the cases that we respond to, actors are actually exfiltrating data from that victim environment. And why they do that is because they can then threaten to post that information publicly through a what we refer to as a shaming site. These mm-hmm. are sites that are accessible via the Tor network. Um, but, you know, this is great from the attacker's perspective because if they are able to restore from backups that victim organization, they can still hold over that victim's head the threat to release this data that they have stolen into the public. And it either you, you do what they ask or they do that, and we're talking about a large amount of money they're managing to extract from these, these people, right? Yeah, the, no, the 
actual payments over time have increased significantly. The one of the larger payments that you know has been highlighted most recently was forty million dollars. Now, forty million dollars is obviously more of an anomaly, but it's fairly common for us to see payments in the millions of dollars. Um, so, to give you kind of a more concrete example, there was one group that we did analysis on. Um, comparing ransomware payments made to them in March 2019 compared to March 2020. Um, and over that time period, they were actually able to double the average payment that they were receiving from the victim organizations. Wow. And this rise in payments is, is due to several factors. Um, you know, one of those being that they are going after organizations with higher annual revenues. And obviously, if you, those organizations make more money, you can demand more payment from them as well. A, a booming business, obviously. Now, with this latest attack on JBS, I mean, obviously, this rises above, you know, private industry. You had the FBI involved. You had Department of Homeland Security. The governments of Australia, Canada were all involved in trying to help them through this. So this is something that, you know, has governments are aware of it. But the concern, I guess, is where this could go next. What else could be at risk and how can we protect ourselves? Yeah, of course. Um, so these attacks are definitely receiving a lot of attention, uh, in, especially in recent weeks with the, the string of very high-profile attacks that have, have hit around the globe. Um, and so, you know, from the perspective of what can organizations, like, do about this? I mean, from my perspective, it's, if you are um, any organization, right, ransomware is a threat that is relevant to you. And Threat actors, you know, de generally are pretty opportunistic, so they cast the wide net. Um, we do see some actors who might avoid certain industries, so they might say, for example, we're not going to target hospitals or critical infrastructure or um, government because they don't want law enforcement's attention on their operations. Um, but, you know, there are plenty of other actors who don't yeah. have that moral compass and that, that target um, hospitals, for example. Um, so everyone is really a potential victim of a ransomware attack. And some of the, you know, because organizations that are facing these threats may not have been traditionally impacted by cybercrime or cyber espionage operations, um, they might not necessarily have as well of an established security program. Um, so really, I mean, things like implementing um, two-factor authentication for logins, especially to critical systems, or limiting the use of administrative access on workstations and servers, or patching critical vulnerabilities. So, you know, it's not realistic to patch everything for a lot of organizations, right. but understanding which um, vulnerabilities are being exploited by threat actors and prioritizing those um, those are some places that organizations can start. Yeah, and they have to step it up. Um, Kimberly, great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. That's Kimberly Goody, who is with FireEye Incorporated, and that's uh, the firm that often these companies end up reaching out to. Uh, to try and get their, their systems back and to get better protections in place. And we're talking about the ransomware attack that targeted JBS, which is um, the world's largest meatpacking company. Uh, they're massive, absolutely massive. Um, they have operations around the world, including in Australia, the United States, and right here in Alberta. There's a plant in Brooks, Alberta, that employs about 2,800 people. They had to shut down. Uh, for a few shifts this week because of this attack. Uh, how big is this place? Well, 
if it were to shut down for just one day, just one day, the United States would lose almost a quarter of its beef processing capacity, 20,000 beef cows, if it were to shut down for just one day. So this closure reflects, you know, the reality that the modern meat processing industry is very heavily automated. And these kind of attacks are a little scary to the impact they, they can have. So let's find out exactly what impact this one had. It was pretty short. Mark Jordan joins us now. He uh, follows the meat industry as executive director of Leap Market Analytics. Mark, thanks for joining us this morning. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jay. Yeah, so we're talking about JBS here. And when you're talking about, um, you know, uh, <laughs> the meat industry, JBS is about as big as it gets, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right up there near the top. Uh, you know, Tyson Foods is another big name, Cargill. But uh, yeah, JBS is pretty much there. And we know they have an operation here in Alberta now. In terms of the shutdown that we saw, it was really short, right? I mean, did do you think it's going to have any meaningful impact on, you know, what we're going to see at the grocery store? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say meaningful is uh, is relative to your position in the in the supply chain. Um, probably not. Assuming this it clears as it seems to be, uh, it looks like most everything is back online for uh, JBS today, uh, and, a, and a bit of stuff was back online yesterday. But um, yeah, a couple days is a huge headache. Uh, I, you know, it's it's tough to say. There were certainly, I'm, I'm assuming, some orders missed, and 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 there were some. I'm sure there were some uh, folks in the value chain uh, panicking and and uh, moving and shaking. Uh, probably not a significant. Um, you know, probably won't see a significant impact on the consumer. But it was one of those things that d- it doesn't take much, and and you know, I could say, or I would say, uh, very close to being um, a, a much bigger problem had this persisted uh, more than, you know, just a couple more days. Well, exactly. That's the thing. And, you know, you make a good point. It, as far as the consumer end, you may not see a lot, but I know some of the deliveries that people showed up with livestock were, were turned around because they weren't working. So you're right. This is a long interconnected chain that finally ends up in the grocery store, but there's a lot of people along the way. Right, exactly. And uh, yeah, so... You know, crisis is again, again, it could, you know, we, we've seen some things over the last couple of years. The, uh, unfortunately, we, this, uh, the, the supply chain, the food supply chain has been tested. COVID being the, mm-hmm. the biggest one, you know, last spring, that was uh, uh, just a mess of epic proportions. Uh, but there have been a few others. We've had some weather events uh, back in February. The, um, you know, the, the, the big storm that swept down deep into Texas was a big problem. You go back a couple of years, the uh, big fire at uh, the Tyson plant in Kansas. So there there have been a lot of tests here the last couple of years. Yeah, when we talk about meat prices at the consumer end, we're seeing them go up pretty dramatically in some places. Um, are those? What's the reasoning for that? Is it is it just those things that you're talking about? Is it COVID? Yeah, so what we're seeing, and this is, there, there's some supply issues that, uh, yeah, that seem to be COVID-related, but also some demand-side things. And, and the, the working theory is that as we, you know, sat around the last year, largely in lockdown, you know, people need to eat. And in some cases, uh, you know, eating, eating meat specifically or, you know, uh, protein based diet has uh, been a good source of indulgence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people get, you know, more grilling around the house and just, uh, yeah, but, but, uh, chance to eat, you know, that's one way to, <laughs> one way to indulge and treat yourself when you can't go to a theme park or, sure. uh, you know, to the beach or whatever. And so, yeah, you, you, you know, grill out and eat more. So there has been some demand side strength and, and just the, the supply side has not kept up. You've got rising feed costs, uh, some labor issues and, and 
that if you look in totality, if you look over a long history and you look at the, the supply of meat across the board, beef, pork, chicken, uh, turkey, even some of the other uh, minor commodities, you wouldn't necessarily think on the surface that there's a supply issue, but relative to demand and some of the shifts we've seen during the uh, pandemic, yeah, we, 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 need, we need more meat and we're, we're paying for it as consumers uh, for that, for that uh, inability to kind of get a push from the, uh, the protein sector. Yeah, so I mean, you, you talk about how thin those margins are right now, and then we saw, saw this ransomware attack. Sounds like we probably dodged a bullet, but it shows just how close we are to being in a really tough situation, right? Wouldn't take much to knock this off the rails. Right, and I, you know, I hope that this is something that, I mean, you know, still like <laughs> we get way too many wake-up calls, but yeah, this is a newish threat. I mean, I've, you know, they, they, supposedly these things happen on a minor scale, uh, sporadically, but I think this is probably uh, the most serious or at a, at a larger, at the largest scale hitting one packer uh, almost completely. And so, yeah, uh, it certainly shows an area of vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely it does. Mark, thanks so much for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Thanks again for having me on. Thank you. That is Mark Jordan, who uh, analyzes the meat industry for uh, Leap Market Analytics.